0: Welcome to Blue Royalty, a London's Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I'm your host, Jessica Humphreys, joined today by Abdullah Abdullah. How's it going, my man?
1: All good, all good. It's been a it's been a hot minute, but I'm back. But it's been good. Chelsea have been winning. At least one side of Chelsea have been winning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> things have been things have been going well there. Otherwise it's been busy, busy. But uh, good to be back. How, how are you doing?
0: Yeah, good. I feel like you've put an idea in my head which is that I think we need the boys to make a t-shirt which is like if in doubt watch the women because I feel like that's just the general vibe. <laughs> I'm going to ping that one over to them so they can uh, they can pick that up. Uh, Got to start the show by thanking everyone who tagged us in your Spotify rats. Uh love seeing um you guys show how much time you spent with us this year. It's always nice to know people are listening um and and we're glad you're enjoying it. For anyone who didn't have us in their Spotify rap, do better. There's always next year. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding a little bit, but if you want to subscribe or rate the show, much appreciated as always. We have hit international break o'clock, which I always go into Abdullah feeling like bummed out because I much prefer watching Chelsea to, in my case, watching England. But... It's quite nice to have this sort of like moment to uh, take a look back on where we are so far in the season, and I think that's what we're going to do today. We'll have a chat about some of the stories that we're going to be keeping an eye on during the break as well, and we'll, we'll have cast a quick eye over December. I guess the big news heading into the international break, was that Sam Kerr is not going to Canada's to play in Australia's games because she's remaining with the club for treatment on a foot injury. I think general Twitter vibe is that we're really crossing our fingers that this is just Chelsea being quite smart.
1: Yeah, you'd like to think so, right? And and I think we talked about this thing the last time I was on. I remember saying something along the lines of like this: this, I hope that Australia just manages Sam's minutes because it's, There's no major tournament coming up. And if if Sam's been unfit for such a long time since the World Cup, essentially, you know, she needs to get time to recover. And I think Chelsea just heard that and went, right, we're just going to you have a foot injury. Maybe she stubbed her toe in the corner of her desk and that suddenly comes into a foot injury. And then suddenly like, sorry, Australia, you know, like can't, you know, she can't make it. She stubbed her toe. And then she's kind of sitting there, but I think, I think jokes aside, I think it's a smart move. I think hopefully it's not a serious uh, foot injury, but if we're going with the way we know Emma and the club and kind of everything that they do, you'd like to think that they are exaggerating whatever it is. And, you know, I'm pretty sure Sam in the next 10, 12 days should be able to make a full recovery and, and be fit to play the Arsenal game because if there's anything it's it's also highly convenient and nice that the next game after the international break is Arsenal and then Samka has had a complete two-week rest before that game so it's it's very nice to see that so I think it's a little bit of both I think it's a little bit of an exaggeration going on there I don't I don't I think if, if push comes to shove if it was a World Cup qualifier or something I'm pretty sure Sam would have gone and played but you know but considering the Fitness issues and just kind of getting back to hundred percent. I think I think it's a good move, regardless of the way they've done it.
0: Yeah, I at this point, honestly, with injury stuff, I'm like, I'm like that GIF where all the numbers is floating in front of that woman's face. Like you can come up with so many different angles, and at some point you just have to say, "Gonna be Zen. Gonna wait and see the team sheet." Or eleven thirty on Saturday, the tenth of December, because there's no point trying to read into it. Because we are working with a master of deception when it comes to Ever Hayes. Um, I agree. It feels like a um, you know, an opportunity to give Sam a break in terms of not having her play some friendlies to celebrate Christine Sinclair. But who knows? I think I felt confident about that stuff before. And then, you know, I mean, the Millie Bright, I'm fine. We've already had one this season. And then suddenly she's out for uh, an enormous amount of time that we don't know. Um, Okay, let's reflect on the season so far. We have played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games. Nice round number eight in the WSL, two in the Champions League. We have won eight of those, we've drawn two. Top of the WSL with 22 points. Goal difference of 28. What stood out to you so far this season, Abdullah?
1: I think probably the two biggest things that have stood out to me is probably the first thing is I think Emma has rotated the side a lot better in these first 10 games of the season than she has than I think in the last couple of years. That's one thing that stood out. And two, because of that, I feel like the players that have come in that we would usually associate as more of the squad players or the rotational players are starting to become so good that they're looking more and more important and becoming first team players where you kind of have to um you kind of have to keep them in the team. You take Johanna Ritz and Kannerid who let's be real um let's be real was was a as a squad player for the better part of um for the better part of the last uh, last season, and now you look at her. At every move she makes, she um, every move she makes now seems like better decision making, better movement, better better play. And now you're like, well, every time she goes forward, she looks as dangerous as she always, you know, we thought she would be. And now she kind of can't be dropped because she's one of the most important players at Chelsea. You look at Neve Charles probably the first choice left back now and then it's becoming world-class got into the England squad and you're starting to get these players to come in and be able to do that and that is a I think that is virtue of both the rotation policy that now Emma has she's managing Fran Kirby's minutes as well for example Sam Kerr me officials come in so this sort of squad rotation you know and the added bonus of these squad players who are now becoming more first team important players I think those probably the two biggest things that stood out for me and I also feel like there seems to be a bit more of an identity in the tactics that are a bit more consistent now, while there are tweaks in formations, but the system seems a little bit more consistent. I think the players are getting used to that. And what I like is they're finding solutions within the same system against different types of systems that they're coming up against and they're winning games and they're doing it that way, coming back. So that's what I think for me is the biggest standout.
0: Yeah, I think what, the squad stuff is really interesting. Um, Just looking at sort of minutes played so far, we 16 players already have more than 300 minutes. And it's interesting that sort of three of the players who don't, who've only had 100 or so minutes, Chankovich, Wrighton and Lloypots, so obviously all players who have been out through injury. One player has played every single minute. That's Jess Carter. Neve Charles has started every game. Millie Bright started every game until she got injured, so maybe she would have also been up there. And then Kirby and Fleming are the two to have featured every game. Fran Kirby is a really interesting one because I don't think she's... If you told me there are two players who hadn't started every game but featured every game, I don't know if I'd have put Fran up there, um, which I think is interesting around, you know, where she's sort of still finding her way maybe in the squad this season. But I do think it's been really interesting. We've got sort of, as you've touched on, a classic case of some players, like I'd say Cannerid and Periset getting into real sort of Chelsea second season syndrome, where it feels like they've really got how they want to play and that they're then trusted more. It's also been really exciting to see players like Nuskin and Ashley Lawrence who are coming in um, this season for the first time, but they've still been given significant minutes as well. And it does feel like we have a, you know, genuinely very strong rotation options, especially given those players out. And, you know, it's like, Obviously, then we've got Agbeyev Jones, who's contributing loads, and it's one of the things that I think is really interesting. Abdullah, and I don't know what you think about this, is official has probably played quite a bit less than I would maybe have expected her to, given that Sam was sort of coming back from this injury, given that she sort of had that goal against Spurs. Um, what have you sort of made of the cur official rotation? Because I definitely thought we'd maybe see a little bit more of it than we have.
1: Yeah, you're right. I think after the first game or two, I thought, you know, okay, I thought Mia would definitely be playing a lot more uh, minutes than she has. And, 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 I, and I didn't think she played too badly in those first couple of games for her to be able to play the minutes she has after that. Um, I think kind of a mixture of Lauren James being up then, and scoring, and then you have Canarid, then you have Kirby coming in in the odd game here and there. And then obviously, aggie but Jones is another big one that's kind of burst onto the scene and obviously another player that we talked about the rotation and squad players coming up and actually contributing i think aggie obviously belongs there as well and you know with with, i think i think with that you you kind of you kind of have to think okay is it because of the way sam maybe somebody else plays with the players that are that are in and in, in and behind or is it the fact that emma is doing the thing where she maybe feels like in training that me official needs maybe a little bit more time to settle into her environment before being thrust into these bigger games. And, you know, maybe the first couple of games was like just to kind of test the waters and see. and obviously forced hand with Sam's injury. But I think it just seems like the, the whole I'm going to play you when I feel you're ready sort of situation. And given that whenever Sam is fit, even if it's at 60, 70% to play 60, 70 minutes or 50 minutes, It feels like Emma wants to get Sam on that pitch, doing more and getting her up to speed in whatever way she can, rather than um, maybe giving her a complete rest, which I guess now if you accumulate that across with this international break being off for two weeks, we should be able to see a much fresher Sam Kerr. But yeah, I I definitely think it's interesting that Mia being the official backup and the obvious backup to Sam Kerr hasn't played as much but then i can put it i think i think we can put it down to just emma maybe seeing something in training going out, okay maybe you have to you a little bit more settling to do before you can really understand how this is and let's not forget she is she is quite young so maybe that development of understanding how chelsea play etc still needs to come in
0: yeah i think definitely you know when we were sort of previewing fischl and her coming into the team um ahead of the season we definitely rawness I think was one of the factors that we felt was was going to be there and I wonder if a little bit there's also been a sense of like Aggie's success has felt a bit like outsized it's made maybe Fischl's impact feel a bit like stranger when you've got like a, a different uh attacker sort of coming in and having a real impact in games where maybe we've not seen Fischl have that same thing it's going to be interesting I think there are some games coming up potentially after the break which it might be interesting to see whether she sort of features a little bit more um going into them in terms of sort of injuries abdullah i want to have a chat about that because i think because we've made such a strong start it's maybe been a bit overlooked um and i think in the past it's quite a common feeling that chelsea's injuries get overlooked sort of by the mainstream commentary around the WSL, and I feel like we might be heading into that again, potentially this year. I think the idea is that Leupold and Wrighton should be back after the international break. But again, I'm so, like, I'll believe it when I see it. There's no timeline, apparently, on Millie's injury, and Kat is someone who, obviously, we knew she was injured, and I think Chelsea aren't going to rush anything. That's definitely going to be, hopefully, someone we see in the new year looking at sort of those players who are absent how do you think the team's sort of been dealing with that and do you feel like how do you think when those players maybe come back how do you think the team's going to shake out because i think especially when the attack's playing so well i'm really enjoying lauren james off the left but obviously guru wrighton will come back and that will be her starting spot again surely
1: yeah, it's 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 a strange one now because when you have a Guru uh, coming back in and you have Kanarid, you have Kirby and you have Lauren James and you have Fischl and you have Kerr, well, Guru Wrighton's obviously the best left best left winger we have or best winger that we have hands down and if not the second best attacker in that squad. So you kind of have to start Guru Wrighton every game and not out of like, Oh, no, we have to start, girl right. No, 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 you have to start, girl right. And she's she's that good. Um, But that means you're moving Lauren James to the right. And Lauren James is in the form of her life, but she's doing really well off the left-hand side, coming in, cutting inside and playing that role. But then if you do that, you move her to the right, you have to drop Yohannarit and Kanarit. And Yohannarit and Kanarit's playing well, but whether it's off the bench or from the start, she's, I think, deserved to keep her place and for someone to take it off her. That's the way she's been playing. And in midfield, Melina Loipols has been a tried and trusted um, lieutenant in that in that midfield. But Shakeniskin's had a really good start. Erin Cuthbert, okay, fine, is coming back from injury, but she's been playing decently well. You know what? What do you do about that double pivot pairing? Yelena Kankovic maybe still needs to kick on, so maybe she's still in and around, but she's had the odd glimpses of of, of good uh, performances. So it is strange, but obviously it's a good problem to have because now you have maybe an extra two, three players to come in who are going to not just do, make you better, but enhance the squad to a, another level. And it then raises the question of okay, who do you start? But I think with the amount of games coming thick and fast, we still have a bunch of group games in the in the, in the Champions League to go. There's a lot of the important WSL games coming up, Arsenal for one, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that I think the entire squad A is going to be utilized. I think with five substitutions, I think that maybe looking past, obviously, everybody wants to start games. There's no doubt you want to be starting games. But I feel like now more than ever, the role of the substitute has become as important as a starter. And I feel like there are some players and maybe some times where you're like, you know, you might have to talk to a player and be like, listen, I'm deliberately not starting you because I value hi- I value you higher as a substitute, because you're going to you're gonna really influence the game for me over there, and that's maybe it can be it it gets sold as that's a better way to that's 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 almost as good as you starting the game as me picking you as like that that substitute to come on, and obviously it gives you tactical flexibility, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think the best thing is is that it gives. Emma, the flexibility to come up against any different sort of team before and realize, okay, maybe it's best to play Lauren on the left, say Gourou through as a 10, and then say Gihanna and kannard on the right against a certain type of team, maybe someone that's a team that's very, maybe a three at the back, and they're very heavy with the wing wingbacks. So you have like these three wingers as like 10s and two uh, inside forwards. Or you have games where you need to stretch opponents in, in a... In a in, in a in a 4-4 in a four, four, against a four four two, 4 2 and you're playing Guro and Johanna as your wide players and maybe Fran in the middle. So I think that flexibility of having three different types of uh, players that can play in similar positions and in different actual like roles and in different positions, I think just gives us the flexibility. And, you know, we've seen I mean, you look at that Leicester game, for example, um, Leicester played decently well in parts and they came back and uh, you know I, I was I you know even though they lost the game heavy 5-2 I felt like they, they played really really well against Chelsea and when you have teams like that coming up against you and obviously they're going to be harder tests we still have to play Real Madrid again Haken Paris should be better than they were uh, going into the next game and obviously they'll be harder harder tests going into the knockout stages hopefully we get there that's it becomes super important. I mean, you look at the way Man City lost to Brighton a couple of weeks ago, that could happen to us very easily. So you need certain set of players to do that. Then I finally feel like we have the squad to be able to turn that around and go, okay, certain opposition, we play these set of players, certain opposition with these players and these players can come off the bench and do what they need to do.
0: Yeah, and I think Fran's involvement, I guess, this season is, like, a fantastic example of that. We know she's someone whose minutes maybe need to be managed, who's sort of still finding her way, I think, in both form and fitness. And the fact that we've got a squad where we don't have to rely on her is a really great position to be in. And equally, it's really exciting to see someone like Lauren James, who's, like, really, like, contributing so, so much at the moment and really feels like she's finding her form. Um, It's going to be really exciting, I think, especially to see what someone like Cat being added into that mix i mean maybe we won't really see it properly for a while or even this season but it's going to be really interesting to see how sort of she then fits into the team um all right let's take a little ad break here and and we'll come back in a bit and we'll talk about some of the other stories going on at the moment so emma hayes has gone to meet her new family RIP, her secret family across the Atlantic. She's gone to Fort Lauderdale, Florida to meet with the US players and staff in person for the first time since the formal announcement of her hiring, says Meg Lenahan in The Athletic. Abdullah, where do you stand on this? I personally don't really mind, but I think some people have concerns about sort of what Hayes' level of involvement with the US team is going to be.
1: It's interesting because, and I can see the value in Emma. I would say Emma wanted to go as well because of those. Why would she even make the effort to go all the way to the U.S.? But I can see the value because if you are gonna go straight into a major tournament, you know, you you don't want to be going in blind just before you know, like you literally go the entire season with Chelsea, let's say. You get off. You get off. You literally then flying next day to, to the US, meeting up with the team, and you've got to learn that team. And I think, considering it's formally announced and everything, probably the first meet just to kind of introduce herself, like, "Hi, okay, of course I'm the new coach. Hi, I'm Emma. Blah blah blah. Nice to meet you guys." And kind of give it a bit of an opening speech and almost like a almost like a welcome meeting six months in advance. If this happens as a one off in this international break and doesn't get repeated in the following international breaks, then I'm okay with it. Right, because then I'm like, okay, fine, two-week break. Emma's gone during the first half of this break and will come back in time to give her enough time to be able to prepare and get all the players back for the big Arsenal game. Like if she had gone now or this weekend and came back on like let's say Tuesday or Wednesday, I'd be questioning a little bit, going, okay, then you've just missed a good chunk of the end of the week, beginning of the the other week, and then you've got a big game in like four days. Is that enough time? Jet lag, et cetera, et cetera where it's kind of going in the beginning when everyone's already gone, players get a few days off, right? Um, And then she kind of goes in, meets the squad for a day. I don't mind it too much in that sense, as long as it just doesn't become a repeated habit over the next couple of international breaks.
0: Yeah, I think ultimately, like you're saying, at the end of the day, no coach is spending every single second of the international break not doing anything else. And it's one of those things where i think you know the sort of optics around it look worse than the reality of it um yeah you know like for example previously hayes would be off doing media stuff with itv for the england games which is something i always found super bizarre because i found it irritating that she was sort of talking about our players and other players and i know lots of people enjoy her commentary she's a very good commentator but for me that always felt like a bit of a strange conflict of interest that i didn't really enjoy um yeah, I think it's kind of understandable. And when the reality is otherwise, the potential is she sort of would leave us mid-season. I'm like, feels like a fairly small cross to bear. Let's move on to then Amy Claypole's contract, which she signed the other day. Um, Claypole is, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, a very highly rated Academy player who has scored buckets of goals. She's just turned 18, signed a deal to the summer of 2025 with the option to extend by a further year. So it's sort of like 18 months plus one. She has played for the first team before. She came on against Villa in the FA Cup um uh two years ago, and she came off against on the off the bench against Brighton last year and against Reading in the FA Cup as well. I think, Abdullah, this is a player who's clearly very talented. She's clearly too good for academy level at this point. It's gonna be interesting to see where she sort of goes from here, uh, in terms of whether, you know, she sticks with the academy this season, whether she goes out on loan. Obviously, we've had an a lot of a lot of Academy players sign contracts over the past couple of years. Some like Emma Thompson have sort of already moved on out of the club, some like Agabee of Jones are thriving. Um where do you sort of like How excited do you get about these things? I think obviously everyone wants to see academy players coming through and it's nice to see sort of the club um, selecting from that sort of like cream of the crop to give professional contracts out. But also, you know, when you see an 18 year old coming through, like they've still got so much more development to do as we've seen with someone like Aggie who went on like these multiple loans before she made the first team.
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm a little bit more I think I'm somewhere in between. I'm a little bit more excited, but at the same time, I'm also still cautious because we know that maybe now more so uh, in the men's game, it's it's a little bit more prevalent that academy players will get chances and to to play in first teams. Obviously, we've seen Mason Mount, Reese James, you know, et cetera, et cetera, kind of come through and establish themselves in Chelsea past and current present as like first team, first team players, and obviously ones become captain of the club, and but in the women's team we haven't had maybe as much success in integrating those players. Uh, rather, we haven't seen them develop into the the level required to be able to stay at Chelsea and become regular first team players. And you know, you maybe look at someone like Jess Carter. Find she was in Birmingham first, but she was 16 when she came through. You know, when she made her debut and everything, and she came a little bit later. She came in a little bit later. But to be able to develop a player like that through Chelsea is obviously then then the dream. And I think Aggie Beaver Jones' path is maybe probably the perfect example of, of like, if a player is really, really good, you keep going on loan, you keep putting in the work, she comes in, she gets her chance, and she's now thriving in the first team. And that's probably where the optimism comes from, that if Aggie Beaver Jones is now finally broken through and proven that, okay, cool, I'm a first team Chelsea player, I can do it and I've already scored five and five sort of type thing, and she looks like she doesn't look out of place in that side, I think, uh, a lot of the times, then there is hope that all of these graduates that are coming through, that there, there is a possibility of them establishing themselves. And so when Chelsea feel like, oh, this player, we're going to give her a, a professional contract, we see a future for her, you're like, okay, cool, that maybe they they see something in X player. And so with the success of Aggie Beaver-Jones, plus these players being picked, it becomes interesting. But then also, you've got to look at the young players that Chelsea sang from outside. You look at Vicky Kapteen, uh, you look at uh, Brooke Aspen, these players coming from outside, now also going out on loan and 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 doing well over there, adds a layer of added competition, which, fine, you get it. You need competition. You're, you're going to bring in a mix of kids from the outside and from your own academy. But... Um, I think that just helps maybe raise the competition and raise the level required and the standard required for these academy players to know, okay, if you're looking at Vicky Cappsing, who's been playing for Ajax's first team, and she's 18 years old, that's the level we need to be at the very minimum to compete and be able to give in consideration for. You know, Chess, you look at Aggie, Beaver-Jones, she looks as good as any of the loanies that we've got going on, if not better. And now she's thriving at Chelsea. And I think now that these girls have a role model, so to speak, in Aggie, and as an example to say, okay, that's what we need to do to get there. That pathway has been built. And I think I think there's a reason for optimism to, to be able to go through and be like, all right, there is a good chance that in the next couple of years, we could get another defender or midfielder come in and replace maybe a Sophie Ingle, Frank Kirby, et cetera, et cetera, going into the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it, it's really exciting to see these players develop and we will do a sort of like a lone army catch-up at some point as well, which will be worth it to help keep track of them. Um, yeah, I think a claypole is someone who's, who's definitely worth keeping an eye on. It'll be really interesting to sort of see where she goes next. On the Aggie B of Jones note, um, she played today with the England under-23s, um, basically set up the goal, uh, which Katie Robinson from Brighton scored. I think. Um, I've just sort of tweeted this, but proof that it's worthwhile, I think, for a player like her to go and play good minutes against a good France team and actually play rather than sitting on the bench for the senior side. So, yeah, um, obviously, I think, you know, ha- how the rest of the season goes for her, maybe there will be more to come and she might get a senior call up at some point. But I'm really enjoying that that sort of England under 23 age group because I think it's really valuable for, for players like Aggie. All right, we will take another break here, and then when we come back, we will talk a little bit about NUCO. So this is quite interesting news, Abdullah, and I think it's worth talking about because I think it's something that's going to become more important and we'll understand more about as the season goes on going into next year. Basically, the women's Super League and the women's championship reached an agreement to proceed with a new company, hence the name NUCO, which is going to run the women's professional game from next season. Basically, the FA announced a while ago that it wanted it didn't want to run the WSL and the championship in the same way that the FA doesn't run the Premier League. They want an independent entity to run these things. The clubs have all got together. They've appointed a CEO, Nikki Doucette, who comes from a sort of banking and working at Nike background. And they've agreed a deal, those 24 clubs, around things like commercial voting, broadcast voting. That will all sit with the WSL. WSL will receive 75% of combined revenue. Championship will receive 25%. And this is the group that will sort of make decisions on everything going forward. I think why this is obviously interesting and important is because I think we're definitely going to see the commercial element of the women's game in England really ramp up. I think that's something that the FA somewhat understandably, like they're a government governance organization. They're not like a business organization, but has probably been a bit slow on. Um, this group's going to be renegotiating things like the broadcast deals, which expire at the end of the season. So the split that we've got at the moment in the UK, for example, where bbc get a game sky get a game and the slots they get all of that will will be up um again to have a look at so there's lots of things to to think about here i i would say it's all quite new and quite up in the air it's quite hard to know exactly how this stuff's going to pan out but i think abdullah this is a move that has been a long time coming and is actually a really exciting step forward for the the wsl as a whole
1: yeah i agree i think um I think the women's game and the WSL specifically really needed, um, I think they really needed an independent um, monitor, regulator of, of sorts to kind of come in and look at the WSL from a different lens and maybe a bit more from a business perspective because, you know, we keep talking about the growth of the game. We keep talking about that on the pitch and, and you know, club infrastructure and all that. And now while you have certain clubs, Arsenal, Chelsea, Ma- you know, Manchester City, for example, and then maybe say even like, I would say like Alesta and all that, while they're putting in money and infrastructure and giving their own players and clubs a, a chance to grow and become the best teams in the league and you look at the top three and they're consistently the top three never really change, thing that shows. But I think by having someone come in and, and, and really help to promote the game and you know, we talk about attendances, we talk about advertising, we talk about games being on Sky, BBC, etc., and then the coverage we have over there, I think having somebody come in with a bit more of a business mindset and an understanding of how it works operationally, what's the best business deal that they can make that ultimately then helps to develop the teams probably who are not as heavily invested in their women's team. And it helps them push forward and it gives us a better product overall. Because if we have 11, 12 teams who are all competing against each other at a higher level where you could be playing bristol versus united or city and you genuinely don't know who's going to win and then that is then marketed properly and and i think marketing then i think i think going on to that i think marketing becomes a huge thing there because these teams who have who are commercially viable and and these in these uh these regulators who have a business aspect from a commercial point of view they also know that marketing is equally as important suddenly we might get more and more advertising in better places, uh, you know, more creative advertising. We might, you know, we'll get obviously the gains will be split better, but then you maybe will have more coverage around it. And, and you know, the, the, the WCL comes in with better guests and everything just kind of compounds. And I think that in itself just gives us a better product. And if we can get a better product and have more people come in and watch, suddenly you attract better players. Not that you aren't attracting them now. Obviously, people like Sam Kerr and all that are still coming into the, the league. But you, if you make it as attractive as what a to a, and I'm giving a very isolated example, what Barcelona can do for themselves in Spain, but you do that across an entire league in England where you have constantly big crowds coming to every single game, your average attendance goes up maybe like, say, you know, 30, 40%. I think that becomes a huge uh, benefit for everybody because then you have more people watching, then more eyeballs, and the better players want to come in and 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 play in your league, and then your league becomes more competitive, and then there's better chances than Champions League, and then you kind of go kind of cannonball and spiral from there. So, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's good. It's just a matter of what are the, what are their plans, what do they want to do. I think we just need to see that. And Nikki, being from a investment banking and a, and and being a former Nike director. I think she's got that perfect blend of the marketing aspect of what Nike does. And I feel like for for me, they're one of the best marketers in the world versus the investment banking of, okay, what's a good investment, what's not, and kind of breaking that up and making a, a sound decision from there.
0: Yeah definitely and I think that that element that sort of business element like you're saying there will be really really crucial and I think it's it's going to put the the WSL in a really exciting place moving forward you know it's kind of crazy to think like for example the broadcasting deals were negotiated I think like in 2001 and the amount that has changed in that in the three years um you know it, it's night and day like we know that women's sport and women's football is such a a fast moving changing landscape and it is really exciting to see um hopefully a a group that's going to be able to really keep up with that and really focus on that um let's just wrap up though with looking a bit ahead at these games that we've got coming up we are going to do a full arsenal preview next week um so we'll go into that in a bit more detail then but i just want to um, have a chat about December as a whole. It's a bit of a weird block of games because we basically have four matches that take us up to the 20th of December. Other WSL teams will finish a lot earlier because... We're the only WSL team playing Champions League football. Uh, And then we're off until the 14th of January, which will be when the FA Cup fourth round takes place, which is the point where the WSL teams enter. So we've got four games and then we've got a big chunk of time off for Christmas. So that Arsenal game is a really like intense way to get back into it. But then I think the three games after, not that they're not important, I think all of them have their own potential pitfalls but they're free games which you like to think we'd be able to sort of focus and hopefully be in a good place at the end of the calendar year so we've got Hecken at home on the 14th of December we're then away to Bristol City on the 17th and then Hecken away on the 20th Abdullah what's your sort of like overview on these games it's very hard in some ways to look past that Arsenal game um because it's obviously such a big deal it's realistically our biggest game of the season so far um but in some ways it's quite nice that maybe that's the sort of like first one up and then we've just got those three which feel more like games we just have to get through as opposed to like really tough challenges
1: yeah i agree it's almost like get the hardest thing out of the way first and then you kind of ease back into into everything else and i think in a way it's good because I think it's so easy for us and generally teams to come back from an international break. And when you come up against a quote unquote, easier game, let's let's just say the Bristol game was swapped with the Arsenal game. Um, It's very, very easy to slip up and, 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 and go, you know, go behind and because you maybe lost a little bit of focus, you lost the momentum and kind of going in there, but against Arsenal, like you said, arguably our biggest game of the season so far the players are almost forced to focus, right? You're almost forced to be like, this is a massive game. We literally have zero room for mistakes and the margin for error is so small that the focus is going to be there. And you combine that with the adrenaline, the motivation, and probably half the players being fresh in Sam Kerr's case or in Frank Kirby's case, where those two players that arguably can be two of the most important players for us, and I can see them starting in that game because they're so fresh, that they'll go in, okay, all guns blending they playing Arsenal it's away from home big game first game back let's go and do it and then if you need to ease into Hacking Bristol and Hacking again alright fine just get through those games get the three three points each and then you just kind of move on whereas if it was Bristol Hacking Arsenal Hacking, it just kind of becomes a bit of a rollercoaster you're like alright fine maybe in the third game you lose momentum you don't do well but if you come out with a win against Arsenal that makes the next three games so much more better and easier to play
0: yeah, definitely. Um, I think that Bristol game is one which feels like, not a banana skin, but Bristol have definitely been better. But I, this is very hard to judge because I think we are clearly the best attacking team in the WSL. Arsenal and United, I don't think, are amazing in front of goal and they both struggled against Bristol. City, I think, are closer to, an, to us and they smashed them. So I can't exactly figure out, but it's definitely a game where I think, you know, the way Bristol defend it, it's like not to be taken lightly. And the and away trip, that's going to be really cold. So I don't know what role that has to play. And that is very close to Christmas. Uh, not quite as close as I think the PSG game last year was. But yeah, I think those four games, I really hope Chelsea can come through them. I think regardless, we'll probably finish the year top of the league because even if we were to lose to Arsenal, we'd still be above them on goal difference, providing we beat Bristol. So that will be nice at the very least. And I think to a certain extent, um, I said this will counter Press at the start of the week, I, it feels like, for Arsenal, they see the game against Chelsea as an opportunity, which is understandable. If they win, they'd be level on points, but it also, I think, is a game which feels like the pressure's really on Arsenal, because if they lose, they're, you know, sort of six points behind all of a sudden, and that feels like a very big gap. So it's going to be interesting to see, I think, as we sort of head into next week, and the we move past the international break, and the narrative starts to come up where exactly that lands. Um, but that pretty much wraps us up for today. Abdullah, thank you very much for joining me
1: no worries thank you
0: we will be back next week we'll have two episodes for you not exactly sure what's coming out when but as i say we'll definitely have an arsenal preview for you towards the end of next week so keep an eye out for that but until then chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high